Connecting life and faith. This is Connections. My parents split up and I was, um, my mom was left with eight kids under the age of 17 to care for with no financial means of support. And unbeknownst to us, she also suffered with uh, schizophrenia. Now that led to profound neglect, lack of supervision, and the breakdown of a family unit. Today we're joined by Judy Ricci. She's one of those eight children. She's sharing her powerful story with us today and how in spite of all of this, she was able to not only survive, but develop a beautiful relationship with Christ. We're going to hear all of that and so much more today on Connections. We're joined today by Judy Ricci. She has been serving in ministry for 14 years with a focus on helping the marginalized and vulnerable members of society. She's also the author of a new book that's titled By the Grace of God Go We, A Family's Faith Journey Out of Poverty. Judy, can you tell us a little bit about that book? It's our family faith journey out of poverty and homelessness. I have been speaking on the topic for probably the last 11, well, maybe 15 years. Um, The book was born as there were eight of us. We were a family of eight children going through some very challenging times. And through it all, we ended up in foster homes. We ended up in group homes. We ended up on the street. And then eventually each of us sort of went our own way, trying to figure out how to handle everything that was coming against us. So we reunited the first time in 1987, um, which was all of us going through our 20s, if you would. And then at that time, we just wanted to have a good time and celebrate that we had gotten through um, a very challenging time. And then you fast forward, the next family reunion we had was in 2014. And then we got together here in Canada and we went to the lake and we actually shared our stories and we shared what happened to each of us. And we were each blown away by the other story because we didn't know what had happened to each other. Um, And I said, we need to write a book. (laughs) This is crazy. This is, this is um, what's crazy is all eight of us have gone through these challenging times, but all eight of us are, um, Christians who love God, who are working in ministry, and who just know and understand how important it is to have people in your life to encourage you, to impact your life, to help you through the challenging times. Uh, we had a mother who prayed incessantly for us, and it's, it's about the power of a praying mother and how important that is to have um, in your life. And, and then... Um, it's, it's meant to encourage people and inspire people that it is our job to get involved and to be a part of the change we want to see in our world. Um, I want to inspire people to, you know, give to Christian ministries, to volunteer in Christian ministries, and to help us make an impact for the kingdom. Because if not us, then who? You know, people aren't coming from other countries to take care of our, our young people or our poor or impoverished those in need, those who are struggling, those with mental health issues. Nobody's coming from other countries to care for our people. It's up to us. And so if there's a message in the story, it's to be a part of the solution for change that you want to see in your world. Love God with all your heart because he can transform your world and love your neighbor as you love yourself. Because when we reach out and do great things for people, we change their lives. And that directly impacts the kingdom. 
Judy, tell us a little bit more about your own personal story and what happened within your family. When I was growing up, first of all, my dad was um, very physically abusive. So that was a challenge all in itself. I said at the beginning, I was raised in a child of, uh, in a family of eight children. I was lucky number seven. And so the first five years of our life seemed pretty good. Uh, everything was um, fairly normal, other than the fact that my dad was, you know, physically abusive and and probably you know, the personality type that he is, he's a type personality, OCD, he probably shouldn't have had eight kids. But of course, he did have eight kids. And his only um, answer to keeping us in line was, you know, strict discipline. And that became a evening ritual of spankings. And it sometimes developed more physical than that. And um So there was a lot of um, challenges in our early life. And then eventually my parents started fighting. Um, I think it was very hard for my dad to come home to eight kids. And it was very hard for my mom, who having had eight kids, um, wanted help, right? By the time he got home, she was ready for help. By the time he got home, he was exhausted from working two jobs. And the fighting began. And When you're five, you don't really know what's going on. You just know that things are hitting the wrong and it's pretty serious. Hitting the wall, things are pretty serious and it's kind of scary. Um, Eventually, by the um, time I was eight years old, my parents split up. So now the scene went from Ohio to Florida. So I'm eight years old in Florida. My parents split up and I was um, my mom was left with eight kids under the age of 17 to care for with no financial means of support. And unbeknownst to us, she also suffered with uh, schizophrenia. So somebody who has that disease can do well on medication, but unfortunately we couldn't afford her medication, so she had to stop. And then when something traumatic happens, like a breakup of a marriage, um, they tend to snap, and she snapped. And we didn't know what was going on. We just knew that you know, would come home and it was either Dr. Jekyll or Mr. Hyde. And so I remember coming upon her just shortly after my dad left and she was crying and she was very upset. And as an eight-year-old child, you're kind of scared because you see your mom crying. And I'm like, mom, what's going on? And she says, don't worry, honey. Everything is going to be okay. God has a plan. Everyone is going to be fine. God has a plan for each one of you children. Everything will be okay. And then it was just after that that we went into our first foster home. So I remembered the words because they were very um, pointed words in, in a moment of time when I was fearful. And she was reassuring me, as any mother would, that everything was going to be great. Um, so we went into our first foster home, and I was eight years old, and the other kids would have been seven, my brother would have been seven, my other siblings were all a year apart. So seven up to 14, 15 years old. So as four younger ones went into foster homes, the four older ones were pretty much on their own. I mean, they were told just find a place to stay. And so I remember having a rosary blessed by the Pope that was given to me by my Italian godparents. And that was the only lifeline I had 
during this first foster home. And I clung to that rosary every night for about a year, just praying the only prayer I knew, which was the Our Father. And I just prayed and I prayed and I cried and I cried and I prayed. And, you know, I, I admire foster parents who look after kids and I admire um, parents who adopt kids out of scary situations. Um, but it's usually a tough time and it's usually a challenging time because the child just lost their parents and we're grieving. We're going through an emotional, you know, horrific, painful experience. And so we might not as be as responsive as they need us to be. We might not understand. We might not be as um, loving and nice, uh, but it's just because we don't know what's going on. You eventually made your way to Canada. Tell us a little bit about that journey and how you eventually did make it to Canada. So we were in and out of foster care um, a few times. And eventually we ended up in a group home uh, in Florida State because they realized my mom was sick. So the next five years after that first foster home, my mom would try to get us back and would go home to no electricity, no running water, no food and, you know, no sustenance. And eventually we were couch surfing in different people's homes and getting into drugs and alcohol and the whole shebang. Um, And she kept trying to get us back, but eventually they realized she couldn't care for us. So we ended up wards of the state of Florida, um, four of us younger ones. Uh, We ended up in this group home and her words came back to me when I was in this group home that God had a plan. And I knew that when I was in this group home, I would be graduating out of this group home at 18 with just the clothes on my back. And that was it. That's kind of as far as they can take you. And I didn't think that was a good plan. So my dad had married a Canadian and he was living in Canada. And I wrote him a letter and I said, you know, dear dad, um, we need your help. It wasn't that nice. It was actually, you know, dear dad, you effing left us, blah, blah, blah. Um, But I very pointedly told him we were in a group home and we needed his help because we were going to graduate to the street. And I thought we deserved better than that. And so he and his new wife came and got us and brought us up to Canada. Um, And that was the beginning of the best part of our lives, I call it, because then we started living a normal life. We started going to school with normal people and getting engaged in our education, getting engaged with people in the community who loved on us and showed us how real families um, took care of their people, if you would. Um, We had never known unconditional love. We had never seen a real family modeled at the dinner table or been told to shower and get dressed and, you know, put your shoes on. And because with my mom's mental health issues, she was doing the best she could just to get by, never mind trying to um, take care of eight children. And so coming to Canada just showed us, uh, I mean, we thought our life was normal, but then we learned what normal was. And it made me want to speak out against that and remind people that you know, anybody could experience homelessness. Anybody can go through these challenging times. Uh, It's whether or not we have the support networks around us to help us through them that allows us to be successful. And as my family fell apart, I realized we didn't have the support networks to help us. If we had, we did have some major encouraging people along the way that kept us in the game. 
like our teachers who encouraged us that we were good at a, a gift or a talent, like the food hampers that came our way from people who made donations to food hampers. Those were so like, those were the most powerful moments in my journey that you kind of hang on to when you have nothing left to hang on to is those, those positive moments of being able to eat when you hadn't eaten in months or weeks or um, my mom tried, she tried to bring food to the table um, but unfortunately, with no electricity and no running water and no refrigeration, it's very difficult to keep food cold. We lived in Florida, so at 90 degrees, you know, the food would just be melting at the bottom of a cooler by noon and it wasn't edible. Um, and so that was sort of the cycle of our life for about five years. Um, we ended up um, couch surfing with friends and and those friends were actually their parent, uh, their step parents were drug dealers. And so even the drug trades know how to, um, how to see vulnerable people. And when you're vulnerable, you know, they'll say, Oh, we can get you some clothes and we can get you a new backpack for school and we can get you socks. Um, but Hey, by the way, you got to sell these drugs. And so the next thing you know, we're peddling drugs and, and we're going down a road that we obviously, at 10 and 11 and 12 years old, you're not, you're, you're making choices because those adults in your life are encouraging to make those choices, but they're not necessarily the best choices for you. It might work out well for them. Now, Judy, years down the road, you had a family reunion and it was there that you all shared your stories with one another. What was the most shocking thing that you heard or was there anything that really stood out from that conversation? Oh my goodness, so much. And that's why I wrote the book. I mean, just some of the more poignant memories, like my brother, uh, Doug and Dwayne, the first foster home we went into, um, Doug ended up in a foster home that wasn't so good. And uh, they were, um, they, they, um, uh, they beat the other child that was in the home quite senselessly and were did not treat him well at all. And um, Doug, um, you know, we, we had been brought up with abuse, but, and, and it was hard for us to stand up from our own abuse. But when Doug saw this happening to the other little boy, he was there for about four weeks, five weeks, when the, the gentleman, uh, the father turned to him and said, you know, you better stay in line or it's you next. And my brother that's when he, he reached out to my other brother and said, Dan, I'm in a situation and you got to get me out. So my older brother went and, t- and just picked him up one day and told the guy he was taking him and um, went to CFS and said, they're abusing the other little boy. You need to put my brother in another home. And Danny was only 17, 18. He was forced to kind of almost be our father in a sense. Um, so some of those things, you know, you kind of go, wow. I mean, I didn't know that. Um, I didn't know my brother Danny slept in his car most of the time because he didn't want to go home because it was too depressing, but he had nowhere else to live. And so, you know, he spent a lot of time just living in his car. Um, My brother David, he took off and went up north and and tried to get work uh, in the oil fields. Um, But some of the drug situations he found himself in could have potentially um, really damaged him. Um, But luckily it did not by the grace of God. 
And, and that's why it's called by the grace of God. Cause when we looked at each person's life story, it's only by the grace of God that we survived and we got through it and we all are doing well today. Um, my sister Connie ended up, um, well, she, she was couch surfing, lost her home, um, had a boyfriend who she started living with and that was now her stable life. And then my mom, because she, she was very Christian, went to my sister and told her at 15 that she either had to marry the guy or she was taking the guy to prison because he was sleeping with her. And so Connie got married. And, you know, some of the choices you make, they're not made because you're really thinking them through or you really have an opportunity to plan and prepare and be um, ready for it. You just make it because you're in a situation and you got to get out, which isn't, isn't the best way to live. And so there's lots of um, life lessons that I've learned along the way. There's lots of gratitude in the book. There's lots of encouragement in the book because really it all starts with loving your neighbor, right? When we reach out to our neighbors and we know what's going on in their lives. And like I said, the food hampers made a huge impact in our lives. Um, the uh, teacher that would pick us up on our you know, five kilometer walk to school to help us get to school so that we could stay in the game. The ones who encouraged us that we were good in math, the ones that went out of their way because they saw us struggling. Those were the ones that you hang on to uh, when the rest of the world is beating you down. And we as people need to come back to that. We need to, the church needs to rise up and, and be the hands and feet of Christ. And, and we need to love our neighbors again. We need to know who our neighbors are. You know, um, I live in a block of maybe 15 people. We need to know each person and we need to be intentional in our relationships and we need to rebuild the church in a, in a grassroots kind of way where we're taking care of each other and we're loving each other um, so that we can make an impact and we can make sure that nobody else falls through the cracks. We fell through the cracks because a lot of our neighbors didn't know what was going on. We had some good moments, um, but it's by the grace of God that we got through, but we can do better than that as people. And I know that when, when my kids were growing up, I noticed the single moms on the blocks and I made sure they went over and mowed the grass and took care of them and offered to wash their windows and do those little things that keep them in the game, right? The elderly couple whose house is starting to look worn and weathered, well, they probably don't have the energy to get up on a ladder and paint the house. So let's go over there and make sure they have help in doing the things they need to do. Mow the grass, take out the garbage, all of those things, which seem small, could be huge in somebody's life. Thank you so much, Judy, for joining us today. Don't forget to subscribe. We'll talk to you again on Connections.